What is up, plant people? Hey, today is Wednesday, the 21st of July, 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Plantropology Podcast. Sure, we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some really awesome plant people, of which I consider you. You are a cool plant person for listening to this podcast. I am Vikram Baliga, and I'm your host and humble guide in this journey through the plant sciences. Uh, this episode was supposed to be out last week, and like usual, I'm behind. Ah, life, right? Life happens. Um, and again, I this is a solo episode. So I'm going to talk about some plant tips today uh, and about some of my experiences this summer. So I hope you're still enjoying these. Um, I am in the process of recording like four or five or six really awesome interviews. I did one last week. That was great. I think I have three next week. I've got one tomorrow. So uh, be excited. There's some great content coming with some great guests. Uh, but for now, you're stuck with me. Okay. Anyway, so uh, I'm not going to do a mid-roll because why bother uh, if it's just me talking and I'd probably forget anyway. So I'm going to tell you real quick to go follow Planthropology all the places. We're on Twitter, Instagram, the face space as Planthropology or some variation of it. Type it in. It's anthropology with a PL slapped on the front and look for the bristlecone pine. It's great. And again, that was designed by our dear friend, Dr. Beth Nichols, uh, who was episode. Oh, goodness. I don't I don't actually remember what the episode numbers are at this point. There have been a lot of them. She was a recent guest and she's absolutely wonderful. So go back and listen to Dr. Beth's episode. Um. Let's see, what else? I, if you want to go see where I left, whatever was left of my self-respect, go check out at the plant prof, at the plant prof, P-R-O-F, on TikTok. You won't see me dancing, but you'll see me talking about plants, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, also, if you'd like to support the show, head, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you can support this funness, but you know, no pressure. Uh, we are supported uh, largely by the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science. So thanks to them, as always, for being rad and being the coolest of the cool plant people. All right. So uh, if you don't know, I have a small peach orchard. It is a you-pick operation where uh, folks come out and we tell them about the things and all the peach stuff, and then they go pick their own as much as they'd like. Sometimes they get back and they've picked more than they would like, uh, which I don't typically mind too much. Um, but it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's an interesting way to run that business model. And uh, so I thought today I would talk a little bit about fruit production and um, talk about, you know, growing your own fruit trees, some different considerations. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot that grows into growing fruits and depending on where you are, it changes a lot. So I'm going to talk about, you know, how to find information about which fruit varieties to grow in your area and, and to find out what does well. Um, I'll talk about some considerations if you're growing one in your backyard versus in an orchard setting like I do. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't have actually even make notes for this episode. So I'm going to talk about whatever else pops into my head related to peaches and fruit trees. But I'm going to play some music at you. And, uh, and then we will have this week's episode of Plant Tips. Millions of peaches, peaches for me, etc., etc. Okie dokie, that was nice, wasn't it? I love that theme song. Uh, it's it's wonderful, and I keep thinking, hey, I'm going to write a new one, and I'm going to play it on the the guitar machine, and uh, have my own theme music that I wrote myself. But I was just get so happy listening to Happy Together that I haven't done it yet. So that might happen someday. Okay, 
I just clapped. I don't know if you could hear that. Uh, on to peaches. So who likes peaches? Uh, I hope you do. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we in running this orchard, have worked with the media quite a bit over the years. And I had a, a reporter and a camera guy come out one time. And, and both of these folks, um, uh, Jordan and Sam, have both become great friends. And so, uh, Jordan, Samantha, if you're both listening out there, uh, I love you folks. You're great. You're great. Anyway. Um, but Jordan, the cameraman, just insisted up and down that he did not like peaches. Like, no, I, I've had peaches. Nah, 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 I'm not into it. I don't like peaches. He didn't know. He didn't know. God bless him. He didn't know. And uh, uh, so we, we, I think, browbeat him, or I think actually my mother browbeat him into uh, trying a fresh from the tree peach or peach cobbler or peach ice cream or something. And I, I, I don't know that they're his favorite fruit now, but he, he did admit by the end of that that he did like peaches, you know? So it happens. And, and there's an interesting phenomenon with fruits and vegetables in general, that if you've ever only had one from the supermarket, from the grocery store, from whatever whatever market you go to, it's just not the same. It is not the same. And that's for a lot of reasons. So if you didn't know, uh, fruit that you see in the grocery store is harvested well in advance. And I think we may have talked about this before at some point. But it has to be shelf-stable, right? And you may have noticed that if you live in somewhere, I don't know where, it could be Lubbock, Texas, where I am, or, or wherever, where there is not fruit in season, you can still find that fruit in the grocery store. If you live in Montana, there's no one growing oranges there. I, I can't say that for sure. There may be someone growing oranges in a greenhouse, but there's no one growing oranges in Montana, right? But you can go to the grocery store, whatever grocery store you have there, and you can find oranges. So where did that orange come from? Where did those apples come from? How did they get to where your supermarket is? And one of the answers is they were harvested well in advance and they were stored in an, a controlled environment that kept, kept them stable and kept them unripe for quite a while. So let's talk about apples in, in specific here. Apples are a great example. If you go to the grocery store and buy an apple, a red delicious, don't, don't buy those. I mean, you can buy them if you want, but there's better varieties than the, the red delicious. But if you go and you buy an apple, there's a good chance that fruit has been off the tree for months, maybe a year, you know, in some cases. And they're, they're warehoused in a very specific way at a low temperature in a low oxygen environment. Usually they pump nitrogen into these rooms and different things, and it, it suppresses the ripening process. Now, ripening in fruit and development in plants, so leaf senescence, so leaves dropping off, fruit ripening, uh, flower development, is largely controlled by a gaseous plant hormone called ethylene. Now, ethylene is uh, produced in the, in the plant, usually in the fruit, and it aids in this process of ripening. So if you can exclude ethylene, you can keep your stuff from ripening. In fact, if you go and you buy fresh fruit, especially stuff like bananas, avocados, the things that will ripen in four seconds in the middle of the night, and if you miss it too bad, it is a brown pile of mush on your counter, um, they, they release a lot of ethylene. And ethylene will also cause petal drop in flowers. So if you have a beautiful floral arrangement, that you bring home, probably don't store it right next to your fruit bowl because those fruits, as they ripen and continue to ripen, will release more ethylene, which will cause petals to drop on your flowers. So a lot of these fruits are uh, picked unripe, stored in this ethylene-free, low-temperature, low-air environment. And then before they go to market, a lot of times, ethylene gas will be pumped into these warehouses 
and uh, these holding facilities, and the fruit will be ripened. Now, you may think that that's sort of a crazy thing, and in some ways maybe it is, but it's necessary. How else do you do it? How else do you take a ripe fruit or a fruit from a tree and ship it across the world, ship it across the country so that someone can buy it, right? Except that you pick it before it's done because the ripening process as it's happening tends to happen very quickly. The drawback of that is you don't necessarily get the full flavor profile of the fruit you buy at the grocery store. So you go and you you buy your apple, you get but you buy your peach that you apparently don't like and you bite into it and it's hard and it doesn't taste like anything and you just don't get that full experience. Because it turns out plants are really really good at turning things like sunlight and soil nutrients and minerals and water and oxygen and all the things that go into photosynthesis. They're really good at turning those into flavor and nutrition. So the longer a fruit hangs on a plant, the more nutrients are going to be built into it just by way of that ripening process and of the uh, plant adding sugars and things into the fruit. Because the purpose of a fruit is to contain the seed, but it's also to be eaten. It wants something, that plant wants something to eat that fruit so that that seed gets spread, right? So uh, the longer it sits on the plant, the more ripe it gets, the more flavor, the more nutritional density, uh, and all of that, that fruit is going to have. Now, this is not a smear campaign against the farmers or the the grocery store, right? I think that it is a necessary part of the way that our food system works. If you want to be able to get food at any time of the year, there has to be a trade-off. Now, flash frozen fruit, like frozen fruit actually is probably more nutrient dense in some cases than fresh fruit at the grocery store because that fruit is left on the plant longer, allowed to ripen uh, past the point that a lot of fresh picked fruit gets, And then it's flash frozen, which locks in a lot of the nutrients, right? So actually, uh, people tend to look down on frozen fruit for some reason, but it can actually be better in in a lot of ways. Anyway, I digress. So with a local food system, a farmer's market, a pick-your-own operation like I have, my little farm is called Noble Farms. Uh, My parents bought it about 10 years ago. Um, But with an operation like that... um, You can have the ripest peach, the ripest grapes, the ripest strawberries or oranges or whatever it is that that you can get tomatoes, uh, vegetables. And I think that a lot of times people say, I don't like this vegetable. I don't like that vegetable. They don't taste good. They don't taste like anything because they've never really had one that was ripe, that was never picked off the plant. So part of this whole thing that we do, yes, it is a business. We try to make money doing it. And and, then some years we make a little bit. It is, I'm not going to say I'm going to get rich running a little five-acre peach orchard, but it's it's a nice extra source of income in the summer. Um, But I, as an educator and as a plant guy, actually really care about people learning about where their food comes from, where their food is from. I think it's really important that we understand the intricacies of the way our food system works, that we understand the, the, the reasons we eat fresh food and the reasons maybe some of it tastes different than others, that, that why some of the stuff you get at the grocery store may not be the same experience as picking it fresh. So uh, I would encourage you, if you've never gone to a farmer's market where the produce was picked fresh or um, to a little orchard like the one I have that's a U-pick or, you know, a farm stand where things are, are sold ripe, go check one out. And I, I understand as I'm saying this too, um, I've done a lot of research on um, food deserts and food insecurities and uh, some of the unintentional, maybe partially somewhat intentional lack of access to fresh food for a lot of people. 
And so as I say this, I don't I don't want you to think that I'm saying, oh, if you can't go get fresh fruit, you you get the fruit you can get and you eat the food you can eat because ultimately being fed is the important thing, right? Not being hungry, not going hungry is important. So if the only access to fresh fruit you have is in a stand at the local convenience store, which for a lot of folks out there listening, it that may be it, go get that. Go get go eat that fruit if you can afford it. Um, there are a lot of programs that help uh, folks get fresh fruit uh, and fresh food here in the U.S. There's something called Double Up Food Bucks, and it's uh, uh, it, it comes through a lot of sources, but it's something that's offered here locally. And if you are on uh, what we call WIC or or like some kind of a food stamp program, a, a food assistance program. Um, you can actually go and take that card to a Double Up Food Bucks vendor. And if you say pull $20 out, you'll get a t- an additional $20 free dollars that you can, like a token or something like that, that you can use towards certain products like fresh meat, fresh eggs, fresh um, uh, fruits and vegetables and things like that. So there are programs out there that are aimed, and most of this is privately underwritten, by the way. This is generally not a government, government subsidized program. Now, food stamps are, but some of these incentive and add on programs are not necessarily. But the point I'm trying to make is that there are ways to get higher density, higher quality food, but it's not accessible to everyone. Not everyone has a grocery store on the corner. Uh, Not everyone has a way to get to the grocery store. So eat what you can and make sure that you stay fed and that your family stays fed as best you can. Um, But if you can and have the opportunity and have the privilege to go to a place where food is available and fresh fruits are available, go eat that. Go check that out. I think it is totally worth doing. And again, if your only access to really, really fresh fruit is in frozen fruit, y'all, go grab some frozen strawberries, thaw them out, make a smoothie. Uh, They taste great. Frozen peaches, frozen mangoes, all those things, they are ripened longer on the plant. Okay, sorry, I'm soapboxing, I know. I get pretty worked up about uh, food security. And if you wanna learn more about that, go listen uh, to episode 24 with my friend Hallie Casey, where we talk into food, talk about food systems and food security and a lot of things. H- Hallie's great, and, and you'll enjoy that episode. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about growing your own fruits. Um, there's a lot of options, right? Uh, I don't know where you live. You may live in the U.S., you may live internationally, and wherever you are, there's a good chance that there's some kind of fruit that grows near you. It could be a tree fruit, it could be a shrub fruit, it could be a ground fruit, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, But whatever it is, use a local resource first to figure out what does well in your area. And I don't just mean what species, so can I grow apples, can I grow peaches, or blackberries, or raspberries, all those things are important. But further, find out which varieties, and I've said this before, are best suited to your area. Find out which varieties do best. There's a lot of considerations from soil to temperature to water uh, requirements to um, number of chilling hours to a whole bunch of other things that I'll talk through a little bit in a minute um, that go into picking the right variety. And it can vary greatly between varieties. Uh, For example, um, let's talk about chilling hours and peaches, chilling requirements and peaches. So I grow three varieties. I grow one called Ranger one called Red Globe, and another called Hail Haven. And they're all different. They're all yellow peaches, um, but the rangers are better for fresh eating. They are a semi-cling, which means when you cut them in half, the pit will come out without a lot of fibers on it, but it doesn't just drop right out. The other two, Red Globe and Hail Haven, are a true freestone peach, which means when you cut them in half, that pit falls right out. Okay, They're really great for canning and baking and all kinds of other things. 
But those varieties were chosen because they meet our chilling requirements. So a lot of fruits, before they will set flowers and uh, set buds and actually produce fruit, have to meet a a minimum threshold of chilling hours in the winter. So a chilling hour, it's, it is somewhere, it is somewhat of a uh, sliding definition depending on where you look and where you ask. But essentially it's number of hours between like, like 34 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. I could do the math for what those are in Celsius and you can, you can kind of figure it out. So, uh, so, so 32 is zero degrees Celsius, right? That's freezing 32 degrees Fahrenheit, zero degrees Celsius. So just above freezing to about 45 degrees Fahrenheit. And based on the variety, based on the crop, it needs a certain number of chilling hours. So we in where I live in Lubbock, Texas, we get somewhere between 800 and uh, 1200 chilling hours, depending on the year. Um, and the peaches that I plant, usually we're on the higher end of that. It gets pretty cold here, uh, for, for quite a while in the winter. I pick high chill peaches, which have a chilling requirement of like 950 plus hours. What that means is as soon as their chilling requirements are met, if they get a warm day in like February, if those chilling requirements are are met, those plants are going to go ahead and push flowers, right? They're going to go ahead and bud out. Well, what happens if it freezes after that? We'll have days in, in February here where it'll be 70 or 80 degrees. Uh, we ha- Our temperature fluctuates wildly. So if my chilling requirements on my tree are already met early in the season, January, February, because I've planted a peach with too low chilling, it's going to go ahead and bloom, and those buds are going to get knocked off by a freeze. So by picking a higher chill peach, um, I can be a little more confident that it's going to take longer to fill that requirement and hopefully get us past our late freezes. So this is that's one of the considerations. There's a lot of them uh, into which varieties to pick. I'm going to be switching out some varieties this winter probably and trying some new ones. But those kinds of things are what you should be looking at for any fruits that you plant. Uh, is it a strawberry? Okay, so when do you plant your strawberries? Generally, in my part of the world, we plant them in October, and we overwinter them, and then the season starts about the end of January and goes into the early, late spring, early summer. It kind of depends. Uh, what varieties do you pick? Do you pick a strawberry that's ever-bearing? Does it bloom and fruit all the time? Or is it June-bearing that kind of fruits late um, late spring, you know, there's a lot of considerations that go into that. So know which varieties you're picking, know what the requirements are for those varieties and make sure that it matches your local environment. Okay. The next thing you want to, um, make sure to do when, before you ever plant your peach tree, before you ever plant your fruits is make sure you can water them. It is expensive and difficult for a plant to create a fruit. Now, when I say difficult, I don't mean it's like a complicated process, but but setting and maintaining fruit is a uh, resource intensive process for the plant. So they need access to sunlight and water and nutrients and all those things. And if you can't pr- uh, uh, provide a consistent source of water for your fruits, they're not going to do well. Now, you may live in an area that's quite a bit wetter than ours. We get about 19 inches, about, what is that, uh, 500 millimeters of uh, water per year. And some years, it's great. This summer, we've been very wet. I haven't had to water much. Uh, a few years ago, we got five inches of rain, so a fourth of our national or our a- a- annual average. 
I, I ran my wells constantly, right? I kept my trees watered constantly because you have no other choice. Uh, the same is true in your backyard. Whether it is a garden hose or drip line or or whatever else, you need to be able to produce and provide consistent water to your plants. One of the biggest um, mistakes I think people make sometimes is they water a whole bunch and they'll let it go dry for a while and then they water a whole bunch. That can lead to uh, physiological problems in fruit like radial cracking where as it dries out, the skin of that fruit hardens off a little bit and then if you put a whole bunch of water on it all at once, uh, it'll crack because that skin can't expand as well. We see this a lot in tomatoes and peppers and some other things. So consistent watering will help with some of these physiological fruit problems, okay? So water consistently, water to the requirements of your plant. All this information is available online. Just a little bit of Googling will get you there. And if you have questions, you can email me. You can connect on social media, and I'm happy to try to help answer some of them. So we have talked about picking the right variety. We have talked about watering effectively and efficiently. Um, We should talk a little bit about maintenance. How do you maintain your trees? Okay, so in my orchard, my trees are kept short. They're about eight to 10 feet tall. Um, Some of them get a little bit taller because it can be sometimes hard to manage. Um, The first thing we do when we plant a new little peach tree is we clip it off at two feet above the ground and it hurts me to do it every time. But you want to, especially in a pick your own orchard, create this vase goblet shape um, with three to four you know, main branches that come out from a low stock so that sunlight gets to all parts of the plant and that people can easily get in there to harvest it. You probably don't want to do this in your front yard. All right. It doesn't look great. It, it, it kind of they're they're funny, scrubby little trees. They're not pretty trees. Um, they're beautiful when they bloom in the spring, y'all. I'll, I've, I've posted pictures before. I'll post more in the future. But they're beautiful when they bloom. But they're not attractive trees as far as the foliage goes. So in your yard, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to prune a backyard peach tree or backyard fruit tree just like you prune any other tree in your landscape. Don't remove more than 20% of the wood um, before, you know, per in any given season. Prune first for safety and the health of the plant, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing you need to know is does your tree fruit and flower on new wood or old wood? So what that means is when so some plants like like a crepe myrtle is a great example okay uh it produces stems new branches and blooms on those branches all in one season okay it sets buds uh does all of that all in one season so you can cut those back pretty far and they'll still bloom i think pomegranates are the same way uh i could be wrong on that but i think pomegranates are the same way but but peaches and some others they actually bloom on wood set in the fall So if I were to come in, you know, in January, February and say, oh, no, I need to prune these trees, I'd prune off all my fruit wood and then there'd be nothing to flower and nothing to set fruit. So what we do a lot of times, especially since we're trying to keep the trees small, is I'll do a late summer pruning. After the crop is done, all the peaches are off, I'll go in, cut those trees back, give them time to establish new fruit wood that will be the next season's um, crop. Okay, so you have to know how the tree grows. Um, You need to know what pest problems there are in peaches specifically. Goodness, if there is a insect that likes a tree, if there's a disease that likes the likes a tree, it's going to get it. It's going to get it. It's true of a lot of stone fruits. Um, They are susceptible to a lot of diseases because you know what insect or uh, diseases and insect pressure because insects like fruits, too. And fungus does as well. 
So we have everything from uh, peach tree borers to Asian fruit moth. Um, as far as insects go, we'll get ants that crawl up and down the plant. Um, aphids, scale, uh, goodness, you name it, we've probably had it. So I have to figure out how do I manage that? Do I have to do regular uh, insecticide applications to make sure that those problems don't develop to begin with? Do I have to um, set management thresholds and spray on demand? H how do I properly manage that? Same is true of diseases. Uh, fruit trees get things like uh, called gummosis. So if you've seen um, little bits of um, sap flowing on the outside of the bark and it forms these little amber nodules, uh, that's probably sometimes a fungal problem, sometimes a bacterial problem. Uh, there will be things that affect the leaves and affect the fruits and affect the stems. So know what the inherent diseases and insect pressures are on your plant and make a plan to adequately address them. Now, I, I don't want to get into this on this episode, but whether you are trying to manage organically or conventionally or anything in between, there are options for you. I will say in some ways managing, not in some ways, it, it is harder to manage your crop, uh, whether this is a large crop or just your one backyard tree, organically. Uh, there are plenty of organic products that work pretty well. They tend to be a little more expensive and you tend to have to reapply more often. And um, you may, you know, just have to deal with a little more yield loss, uh, less pretty fruit. I have no problem with ugly fruit. In fact, there's research that shows that ugly fruit may have no, more nutritional content. We'll talk about that later. Um, but know what you're going to manage, find the right products, the right techniques, whatever you want to do to manage your crop appropriately. Uh, Fertilization is another big thing. Um, what does your soil need? Get a soil test. I've seen it, said this before. Take soil samples, get them analyzed, see what your soil needs for the crop you're trying to grow. Um, you need to know how much nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, potassium, all the things your tree crop or your fruit crop needs. For example, um, pecans, and that's how you say it. You say pecans. I don't I don't care. I will die on this hill. It's pecans. Um, they need a lot of zinc. Uh, they, they have to have it to um, fill the fruit well, to establish good shells on the nuts, all those things. So they have to have zinc. Our soils here in Lubbock, Texas are very high pH. And in high pH soils, metal nutrients, so like zinc, iron, aluminum, copper, a few other things, uh, manganese, magnesium, they tend to be bound up in the soil and they bind to uh calcium um, in the soil and some other things. And so it's really hard for that plant to pull um, zinc and iron up into the plant. So with a pecan crop, usually there are foliar applied zinc, sometimes root applied zinc to make sure that it uh, will make a crop. So you need to know what nutrients your specific crop needs. And for a perennial crop like um, peaches, I will go and fertilize in the fall. So probably about October, I'll go and run some, some nitrogen and some other things through my uh, irrigation system. And I'll try to bank some nutrients in the soil before it goes dormant. So one that helps it establish some roots. I want that stuff in the soil so that when those plants start growing, those elements and those nutrients are already available. So you fertilize in the fall and then you fertilize in the spring again as they're setting blooms and setting flowers. Try to think, what else? Harvest and storage. Okay, we've talked a bit about this a little bit at the beginning. Harvest and storage of your fruits may be challenging, okay? So when do you harvest, right? Do you want to let that fruit get as ripe as possible on the plant? 
or do you harvest it a few days in advance? The answer is it depends what you're doing. If you want, if you're going to, so what we tell people when they come out to the orchard is like, hey, if you're planning on like processing these tonight, making jam, uh, we've got a, a family that comes out and they make mead and a few other things. We've got lots of people that make jam and cobblers. If you're going to process them right away, pick the ripest fruit you can find right? Because they don't have to be shelf stable. You just pick the ripest fruit you can, you use them right away, and it's great. If you want them to sit on the counter a few days, you need to pick a fruit that has great color on it, that it smells like a peach, but it's a little more firm. It's not squishy. It's not 100% ripe because then it'll continue to ripen on the counter and, and it's it's good for a few days of shelf life. So depending on what you want to do, you want to make sure that you're picking them, uh, cleaning them appropriately, uh, whether it's just wiping them off, whether it's washing them. Again, this is going to vary by crop. And then, and then store them appropriately. Do what you want to do with them. You could freeze them. You could process. I don't know. It's up to you. You did. The sky is the limit. The world is your oyster. I don't really know what that means. But know how you're going to harvest and how you're going to store your fruit. Uh, should you put it in the fridge? Should you leave it on the counter? I don't know. It depends what you're growing. With peaches, a lot of times, if you go straight from a peach that's been outside in the sun and you throw it straight in the cooler, it is going to turn to a pile of mush real quick. Real quick. So the riper it is, the worse it gets. So sometimes you have to slowly bring them down to room temperature, let them cool off, uh, and then you can chill them and, and do different things. So it really just depends heavily on what you're trying to use them for. So um, the biggest thing is is just give it a shot. Find some fruits that do well in your area, whether you're trying to grow in a pot on a patio, um, whether you have five acres of land to, to plant 500 peach trees. It doesn't matter. I, I think that you should be, if you can, if you have the ability, if you have the resources, um, go try to grow some fruit. Maybe find a community garden you can help with. Maybe find a spot where uh, if you don't have land that you can use someone else's. You can partner with a friend. You can come together as a community and, and restore an empty lot and plant fruit trees. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to make sure that people have more food available and higher quality, more nutrient-dense food available. I That's something that I'm passionate about, and it's something that I'm trying to figure out how to do more and more in my own life and in my own community. So, um, yeah, I think I, I'm sure there's stuff I've missed. I may, um, publish a addendum to this at some point, millions of peaches part two. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but I just, I, I think I just wanted to, for one, have an episode out cause this, cause I haven't talked to you guys in a while, but also I, this is something that is a big part of my life and I wanted to share it with you. It's a lot of fun. Um, Running a pick-your-own operation certainly has its challenges. Uh, you know, you've got to market it. You've got to make sure people get on the farm. You've got to make sure people stay safe, and then they know how to pick the fruit and all of this. But I tell you what, we have the most wonderful group of customers. Uh, we advertise pretty much solely on social media. It's Noble Farms Texas and Noble Farms TX. Uh, and and the folks that come out are like part of the family. They know what to do. They they've they've seen the process. They they have grown up with our peach trees, and it's really cool. And it's cool getting to see families come out and enjoy that experience and share that experience and, and all of that. We get to share that with them. Um, but but I encourage you find a way to try some fresh fruit. Come see me if you're in the, in the West Texas area. I'd love to teach you more about it and tell you more about it. I'm hoping to do some videos about peach production next year and maybe go from um, the process of overwintering into buds and, and everything in the spring. And we'll see. We'll see. But um, I hope you all got something out of that. I hope that you uh, 
I learned a little bit more about fruit trees. It's a big subject and there's a lot that goes into it. But uh, this is, I think, a good introduction into it. And we may talk more about fruit trees and pomology in the future. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed that. I hope you had fun. And uh, I hope you are not getting tired of just hearing me uh, rant about plant stuff yet because we've got maybe one more episode of that and then we are jumping back in uh, at the beginning of August to interviews with some really awesome plant people. So thanks for listening. Again, go follow on social media. Uh, If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash plantapology. And thank you so much as always to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for all the support. And uh, I love you folks. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a good summer and staying safe and uh, being kind and being the cool plant people that I know you are. I will talk to you next week.